This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. From the Palmetto Swamps, to the Piney Woods, to the Oak Flats, you're listening to the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. Listening to the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast presented by Relentless Boats, custom aluminum manufacturing, fabrication right down in Thibodeau, Louisiana. Been talking about them on the podcast for multiple seasons now and appreciate their support. Encourage you to go check them out at relentlessboatsla.com. Check out some of the stuff that they're building and putting out there on social media and you can get in touch and find out about how you can get in a relentless boat this year. And, uh, Really, the kind of stuff you expect from somebody building boats for hunters and fishermen right down on the bayou in Thibodeau. RelentlessBoatsLA.com uh, Kyler, it's uh, officially, well, for the for a lot of us, it's over. I know there are... Most, most everybody, I yeah. know there's a, there's a couple areas of the state that, that have the season that goes to the, to the 15th of February. But I think for the majority of our listening audience and the majority of our state and surrounding states and communities it's over it's been over for me for a while (laughs) (laughs) you've had that you've had that uh you've had that that uh that opinion for a long time i i I guess i don't i guess i i don't really maybe i don't see that perspective that you had that that garbage of a season i i feel like you've i well actually from my perspective tell me if i'm wrong i don't I haven't seen you hunt that much, like days and hours in the stand. I know you went to the Midwest, what, twice at least? Yeah. Two times? Yeah, yeah twice. But, but as far as like hunting at home, I don't remember seeing you like grinding it out like, uh, like past years. Well, maybe. Uh, 
it's kind of in between. I wouldn't say that I I wouldn't say there was a notable uh, uh, lack of, and I definitely probably did not grind it out as hard as I have when I was on a certain deer or hunting a certain area. You know, where I had a certain purpose. Uh, I think I think what what that perception comes from from those closer you know closer to me like you're talking about somebody who kind of that I talk to on a regular basis kind of knows where I'm at what I'm up to all the time it it has a lot to do with why I keep complaining and it's not like I did I killed two nice bucks both of them are likely Pope and Young I didn't score them but they're both you know mid 120s to mid 130s somewhere in there um deer with my bow and for a lot of people that's a good season I don't shoot does I let my kids shoot does for the meat for the freezer and so i could have killed several does if i wanted to but um i think the perception is and and the reason i keep complaining which i, I hate I, I really shouldn't do that i should slack off of it but um it's it's the amount of just dead time it's it, you know it's not that i haven't hunted it's that i have no stories to tell mm-hmm. because i'm not seeing anything <laughs> yeah you know it's like yeah yeah, yeah. it's uh, you know it's it, as opposed to you know, having those conversations with my buddies about, yeah, man, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I'm, I'm getting on this, I'm getting on that. It's like, well, yeah, yeah, I hunted, but I don't really have anything to tell you. So it just kind of seems like I'm just, it's just kind of non, non-existent almost. And that, that's why I had such a defeated attitude this year because I did kill a couple of nice deer, um, and, but like I probably mentioned in this conversation before, it was a couple of exciting days with an absolute ton of disappointing days in between and all around. Yeah. And um, that was tough. I will say, last week, you know, we we talked with uh, Dudley, and I mentioned that I was going to kind of, I had kind of just shut it down because I just, like, I didn't really have a plan. I didn't have any, any real, I felt like the rut was kind of played out on my, the places where I hunt mostly and, I just didn't have an idea of where to hunt, and I was just kind of slacking off. I said I was going to make one more hunt, and I and I I had a pretty good I had one pretty good hunt, and I I um I didn't shoot anything, but I walked into my stand and in, on an afternoon hunt, and there was like six bucks in in there, right right pretty much in bow range, obviously before I got my stand. One of them was was a really good deer that I've had on camera off and on all year, and they were apparently a doe around or something, so. But I didn't get a shot. Um, I, I got to, I actually watched them, was able to end up slipping up in my stand and saw even more activity even after that. But, um, you know, no no real story to tell. But, I mean, I, you know, that, that was as many, uh, that was on one piece of property that I hunt uh, pretty regularly, a small piece, but I hunt it every year. And that's the only bucks I saw on that property all year, all in one hunt on the yeah. last weekend of the season. You know, it just, and that's kind of how it went. But, um, you know, it, it 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 a lot of people I've talked to, maybe even you. I don't know if you said this to me. A lot of people I talk to like have this kind of experience, and I can't say that this has always been my perception, but I guess a lot of people have said it. Hunting seems to have this up and down, almost cyclical effect where yeah, you have like a bad year and a good year, bad year and a good year. So I'm hanging my hat on the idea that last turkey season was terrible. This bow season was terrible, and so that means twenty twenty one is just going to be on fire for me. I'm just, I'm, I'm yeah. just, That's my positive outlook. I, I, um, 
I last season uh, was my first bad bow season since I started getting better at bow hunting. I started off like my first few years. I started off like just really shooting myself in the foot, not knowing it on like how I was entering my stand or, you know, doing stupid things like walking straight down the field that I planned on a deer walking out of me shooting. And like just these real, just ignorance is what it was. It was just lack of knowledge of what I was doing. I was figuring most things out by myself. And, um, but ever since I started to piece stuff together and ever since I started to find success and I started to kind of have these, um, um, these parameters that I would stay within on action or a lot of times inaction, you know, not doing things and like creating success for yourself by not walking any further than you have to and stuff like that. Once I got good at it or better at it, I haven't had a bad season until last season, but I think we're those like my season last year and your season this year can't really be compared because I was my own worst enemy last season. I was making poor shots and I was losing animals and I was just not in a good headspace last season, which I've talked about a couple of times seems to be that you can't find a deer. Yeah. And there's one thing that I have to note. Okay. So, and I haven't said this in any of these conversations that we've had, and we can elaborate and entertain and inform about a lot of the reasons why. But I spent the majority of my season working on a couple of big media deals, media mm-hmm. yeah, projects, them, yeah. and that changes the way you hunt. And that, that sure. can't be written off in that um, a lot of my season was spent, I was hunting, but I was hunting in a way to do a job, and that makes things different. And sometimes... Uh, that difference is, is the difference between, you know, really kind of leaning back on what you've learned and really making better decisions and then just kind of having to do things a certain way because you've got an ulterior motive, and that has something to do with it. One of the topics that I, I think would be interesting to elaborate on, and we can talk about it with our guests right now, is um, the, the life, not life cycle, but the... Um, change of your bow hunting career throughout your life. And, and, um, and so we've got uh, um, Eric Gilly on the phone with us. Eric, thanks for joining us tonight, man. Yeah, thank you. And, and Eric's been bow hunting uh, that, for, as, that I know of at a minimum at least 22 years because that's what he's told me. How long have you actually been bow hunting though? Oh, I've probably been bow hunting oh upwards of probably 25 years, actually. Um, but the place that I've been hunting, I've been hunting there for oh since uh, oh since uh, 98. So what's yeah. that? 23 years there in that place. So, so so the so the reason why I bring that up is because. I'm, I'm 34 lock. I can't remember how old you are. 39. You're 30, 39. That's what I thought. I knew you weren't 40 yet. I knew you were older than me. So, um, Eric, how old are you? Well, I'll be 50 in about 19 days. <laughs> cool. So you're still so you're, 49. So you're, you, you get, you're 40, yeah. So you got, you got uh, about, about 15 years on me and about 10 years on lock. And so yeah. you're a little ahead of us in, in far of, in, as far as like, 
family, career, kids, all that stuff. So yeah. um, Locke's talking about Locke's talking about some big projects he's been working on this bow season mm-hmm. that's kind of had him, I don't want to say off his game, but definitely attention elsewhere or different efforts than just going in the woods and hunting. Last season, just as a very short story for you, I was starting a business from scratch. We've been friends on Facebook for a while, so you probably have seen it. Um, and I've known you for a few years now. But I was in a really bad um, uh, preparedness place mentally last year for both season. It snuck up on me big time, like to the point of like it was like the opening day of the season. I hadn't really pulled my bow out of the case yet. And mm-hmm. uh, and I had a bad season last year. So have since you're older than us and you've been bow hunting possibly longer than us have you gone through any ebb and flow seasons of you know life's kicking in in high gear and kind of kicking your ass can't get in the woods and then maybe you have years that you can hunt six weeks in a row if you want to do you have any input on that stuff yeah exactly i mean when i first started bow hunting i mean uh you know it was everything that i did i mean um, I planned all my work around it. I went out there and um, tried to have several weeks in advance to to hunt, and I stayed in the tree from from daylight till dark. In fact, the place that I hunt, there was a uh, it was uh, November November nineteenth, two thousand four, and uh, I actually had my girlfriend at the time um, wanted to hunt, so went and set her in a stand that I set up and I crossed the same grass field that I would cross to get to my stand. And I actually had that, that path worn down cause I followed that same path. And, um, I got to the tree a little late. It was like seven ten in the morning, which normally I'm there before daylight. Um, got in the tree and, and, uh, as I climbed up, I took my fanny pack off and I, I snapped it around the tree um, and I pulled my Gatorade out, pulled the, uh, the the wrapper off of it so it wouldn't make noise. And as I'm doing that, I looked across the grass field on the same path that I walked to drop her off and something caught my eye and I saw this deer and I was like, holy cow, I mean, just a huge deer. And I'm like, this is the one. Well, <laughs> um, my bow is still on the ground. And as I'm sitting there trying to pull it up, and I'm looking at the deer the whole time, wheeling the, the, the string up, and it gets caught on some vines and stuff. When, you know, the deer's uh, Oh, probably 60 yards from me walking straight to me and I'm talking about a big deer and I've I've seen some big deer and I've killed some big deer this probably would have been my biggest he was a monster and um as it got caught on the vines I tried to lower it and swing it back up and I got it loose and the deer stopped when he stopped he kind of he kind of looked at the tree line I was on and he picked his head up and he just scanned and it was like he knew something was going on and he put his head back down he turned to his right which was my left i got the bow up and i'm fiddling and fumbling trying to get my string off of my uh off my cam 
and the deer is now probably about well he got as close as about 45 yards and by the time he turned he was about 60. at that time i was shooting a lot of competitive archery so i was like if he gives me an open shot i'm gonna shoot 60 you know mm-hmm. and and bear down on him and shoot him and he stopped one time before i even drew and he turned back and he looked over his left shoulder and he looked back my direction put his head down to walk off this was november 19th you don't see big bucks where i'm at november 19th you just don't see well i pulled out my grunt call and i grunted and as soon as i did he was like he had a rocket he was out he he shot out of there i hunted that stand for two more weeks from from 5 30 in the morning until 5 30 6 o'clock in the evening and saw numerous deer and uh and never saw him again so you can you can say that you're hunting a deer on areas that i'm hunting and you can hunt them but these deer travel for miles and miles and miles um persistence is all i can say in what i do i stay on an area i stayed on that area for two weeks i never saw him again um this other place that i hunt um i think the big question is why do you stay there um i've just kind of seen over the years how these deer travel i've targeted them over um you know there's private land areas around which they feed and um and then you have other areas that you cannot hunt and that's kind of what i target um a lot of people go in and target uh rubs and scrapes and 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 all that and they sit on it and sit on it not that it's a bad thing but just me i target their traveling areas and um their traveling corridors yeah it seemed work for me i don't know if that works for other people but that's just what i do and um it's produced over the last four or five years um you know persistence I'm stubborn. Kai, I think I told you, you know, you asked me, why do you, I said, cause I'm stubborn. <laughs> I'll stay on the area when these other guys jump around and jump around and jump around. Um, it's just what you want to do. Um, I'm persistent on the area. Well, when, um, it's like a timing you, camera, you, if you're going to set a timing camera up. Well, you're the timing camera. If, if you're going to sit there long enough, you're going to get what that camera has and unless it's, you know, 11 o'clock at night or 12 o'clock at night. But how many people you say, um, have a picture. Well, I didn't go to my stand. In fact, one of my buddies this year, he had a, a camera up and he, he didn't get up that morning to go. And he said, man, look yeah. what I had on camera and I didn't go. Well, let me, let me play devil's, let me play devil's advocate with that because there's some people that would say, and let me preface my, my advocacy here. By saying I'm, I am typically more the style hunter that you're defining. That's kind of how I hunt. I am a persistent mm-hmm. hunter, and I feel like I'm at my best when I hone in on certain things and I stick to them. 
And uh, one of my issues this year is due to some of the things that I was doing, I was bouncing around a lot. So everything was kind of new to me, and it was kind of like I was drawing a different a different lottery ticket every time mm-hmm. I got a chance to hunt, and I yeah. never drew the right one as opposed right. to really relying on my own scouting efforts and all that. But yeah. I've had people, in, in, in relation to what you just said, I, I've had this discussion with people, and I do believe this myself to a certain extent. Just because you get a picture of something in a spot doesn't mean that 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 deer would have made himself visible if you had been there. And and just leaning to the idea that there's a certain amount of activity that we are kind of, we, we tend to assume that just because when nobody was there, the camera took his picture, that that would have been transitive to the fact that we were sitting in the tree. But how do we know that had we been there that day, that deer may not have detected us and never made itself known. And I, I think that that's a, that's a wrench in our plans a lot. What are your thoughts about that? Makes it hard to figure out. Well, I mean, like the area that I was in, um, when I went in there this year, it's an area that I've hunted several years. I went in there and there was probably some of the best sign that I've seen in, oh, the, the four years I've been hunting in there. And there was rubs and stuff on the trees, and there was, I mean, some good rubs on trees that were five, six, seven inches round in diameter. And um, as I walked down through there, there was another rub and another rub and another rub. And they were all in the water. Well, I walked up. And I seen one good rub kind of up on the bank. And um, as I walked up there, there was a area that the leaves were just torn all up like an armadillo had been in there. And I was like, man, it's just armadillo that did this. But I'm talking about a 20, 20 foot round area. And I said, well, what is going on here? And then it hit me. I said, there's two bucks in here that are they're fighting that are tearing this area up and they're fighting over the dominance of this area. Yeah. And I actually brought a couple of my buddies in there and I said, look, I want to show y'all something. And we walked down through there. I said, look at that rub. Look at that rub. I said, that, that is not a small deer that's doing that. And I showed I've, them. I've what they up and what you're talking about. It's cool. Yeah. And I said, there's two deer that are fighting over this area. So I got excited about it. It was the best, it was the best sign that I had seen in there. And I'd already made my mind up that I'm going to sit on this area. I talked to my buddies over the summer. I said, I'm going back in there. This is the same area that I killed a deer in 2018. That was 171 inches. And I remember um, that one. That was a great deer. Great deer. And, and, I'll touch a little bit on that one, but anyways, I said, well, I'm going to sit on this area, and I'm going to sit it nonstop. I set that area from two days after Christmas, uh, December 17th. Um, I moved a couple a couple stands um, that I had set up. I was not covering more than 200, 200 yards. But my main area that I set, I said, I'm going to set that. And um, 
after two weeks, the third week, I said, I'm getting on that stand. I'm just going to set it. And it, and sure enough, one evening I'm sitting there and, um, you know, I had my back to the tree and I heard the deer hit the water. And as soon as the deer hit the water, I knew it was a deer. Didn't see it, but I heard it. And I said, well, I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and stand up because I knew I had my back to the tree. I stood up and as I'm turning around, I said to myself, as I'm knocking my bow, I said, if this is a doe, I'm not going to shoot it. I'm not going to shoot it. Now I hadn't shot nothing all year and I only shot one deer last year. So, you know, I wanted to draw blood. I've got deer meat in the freezer, but, um, as I peeked around the tree, I saw the deer and I said, Whoa, I said, this is one that's going to get shot. And, um, he comes up and he gets about 19 yards and I drew my bow and I stopped him and shot him and he runs out in the water and, and, uh, stands there, but I could hear him leaking. You could hear the, you could hear the blood dripping out of him. He goes over to the, the thicket and, um, I just seen his horns go down. This was at 5:30, so it was it was low light, and I just seen his horns go down. Um, anyways, I'll try to shorten the story up. But he uh, he goes down, and uh, I called my buddy, and I got down and um, made my way around. And as I'm, I decided that I'm going to make a loop around um, to not jump him in case he wasn't dead. Um, I'm crossing the water and I hear horns crashing and water thrashing and I'm like, what is going on over there? And I kind of knew in my mind, but then again, I was in denial. I was like, this ain't what I'm hearing. And uh, I shine my light. I pick my light up because I said, well, if this is my deer getting up. I need to, you know, it was too far away, but I shine my light and the sound stopped. We pulled the deer up we found it it was laying right there in the water we pulled him up and um it was 130 inch eight point um 129 inches um pulled him up and i noticed the spot in his shoulder when i was at full draw and i bared down on him i noticed a bald spot in his high shoulder on his on his right shoulder that um i thought was just a fighting scar but when we pulled him up and a buddy of mine, uh, Chris Roselle, that was with me, um, he said, dude, that's the deer that I shot just four days ago. And I'd helped him go look for it. And the deer went up on private land and I knew the private land guy. So I called him and we trailed the deer for, I don't know, two, three, four hundred yards, something like that. And um, we realized that we were bumping him. So we just said, well, we got to back out. We'll look for buzzards. We'll look for, you know, whatever. Never seen nothing. Well, four days later, that was the deer that I that I had shot. So all into this story, I said, man, I got, you know, I get this deer back and I realized the whole side of him is all raked up like somebody took a screwdriver to him. And um, I said, that's exactly what I heard. A deer was in there you know, busting him up in the water. I said, man, I got to get back in the stand next morning. So I got the deer. I, 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 I leave him hanging and I said, man, I'm as much as I can do. I'm going to go get in that stand the next morning. 
got in the stand the next morning and uh nothing happened until i mean there was it was silence not even squirrel moving nothing i uh at 8.45, I hear something in the thicket, and I look, and I kind of see a flash, and I hear something running around. So I grab my bow. So said, well, if it's a doe, I'm not going to shoot. And then to the right of me, I hear another deer come in, and it's a big-body deer, not a big rack. He's about a 100-inch deer. And I said, well, you know, this is public land hunting, dude. You know, you got to get it. And he stopped perfect. I didn't even have to stop him, and I heart-punched him. He runs over there and dies. Um, now this is three weeks of hunting and these are the only two deer that I saw from these, from this stand. I didn't see a doe. I saw them on the roads and stuff coming in and coming out, but nothing from the stand. And I was actually starting to lose my confidence in it other than me shooting those two deer. But I was like, man, I'm not seeing no does. You know, this is not the traffic that I want to see in this area. Um, but I said, well, I got two deer. That's good. So a um, few days goes by, and um, a buddy of mine's coming up, uh, Randy Dufresne, that, that actually owns the camp that I stay at, and he wasn't going to get there till about 1.30 or so and 2 o'clock. And I said, well, I'm just going to wait till he gets here. I didn't, I cleaned up the camp. I didn't even hunt that morning. And, uh, he shows up and I said, well, I'm going to go get my shower, got my shower and went and got in the stand. Same, same stand. And, uh, I mean, everybody see from the video, I'm not going to go through all that, but I was messing with him on the phone and jacking around and really not doing anything, but goofing off with my phone. And, uh, 4.45, I just happened to put my phone up and turn around and looked over my shoulder. And this deer is coming the same path as the uh, the the first eight point that I shot. And if I wouldn't turn around, I never would have seen him. I never would have heard him. Nothing. I mean, it was total silence through the water. And uh, I just knew it was go time, you know. I said, well. I've got to make this happen and this is going to complete my season and it's, it's going to be everything that every hunter wants is three good bucks or decent bucks in a season. And, um, dude, that, that deer came up and gave me a perfect shot. And when I shot him, I shot him at seven steps and I heard the air come out of him and I just hung my bow up and I said, he's dead, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah the the one thing awesome. that i've tried to tell people is when you shoot a deer with a bow the first thing that your mind which you know trying to tell everybody what your mind needs to think of after you shoot a deer is you need to watch where they go watch the exact tree where they turn in a thicket you need to listen to the last sound that you hear so that whenever you have to go track the deer, that's what you need to do. On a shot like that, I didn't even listen for nothing. I really didn't. <laughs> I just hung my bow up and I said, he can go wherever he wants because he's not going anywhere. He's he's dead. 
Um, you, you know what that you know what that reminds me of that that reminds me of there's a um, there's a video I don't know how long ago it was it's of Tiger Woods he's in the the 18th hole of some championship or some match and he's got about a 15 foot putt and his <laughs> opponent that he's playing with is standing right next to him while he's putting and he hits the ball he takes his hat off of his head. He turns to his opponent, he shakes his hand and says, good game. And at the last second, he turns and the ball falls in the hole. <laughs> okay? Yes. Like, he, the second he hit it, he was yeah. like, yep, that's in. And he turns, shakes his opponent's hand, hey, it's great playing with you. And then the very last second, he looks over there, and he's like, that ball's yeah. falling right in. Like, that's, that's badass. And I know what you mean. I've put shots on deer where I, like, I'm really crossing my fingers. I hit something good inside of that thing and it's going to die. And then there's some shots where it's just, it's automatic, you know, it's, it's automatic. There's no freaking out. There's no, you put it in the right spot and, and that thing, you can run as hard as you want. You're not going very far, you know? And that's, it's, that's, that's probably one of the greatest feelings ever is I think is just chasing that again every every season you know I don't know if anybody's ever heard the air come out of a deer I'm sure there is but if if you ever heard the air come out of a deer when you shoot him that is that's that's the pinnacle of bow hunting I think the only thing pinnacle to that is if you were shooting a longbow or a a recurve bow you know (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Have you have either of y'all lock in and Eric? Have either of y'all ever had a deer make a really weird sound when you shoot shoot it? I've had well, several deer, uh, several deer that were, when you put a a really good shot right in their right in their vitals, kind of make that. Kinda, uh, it's not a grunt. It's more of a almost a cough, like a. <clears throat> and well, it's, it, it's kind of. I've had two or three in my near memory that have, and one of them was the second eight point that I shot this year that came up from my right. And he posed at 18 yards. And when I put the pin on him, it hit him in, hit hit him in the 12 ring. And when it hit him, he grunted. He actually went like that. And I just knew. And, um, I, After I had, I had one, it sounds like a a mix between a scream and a burp. Yes, like that, but probably the <laughs> like the it's like a really intense grunt slash scream. It's I I could yes. I, 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 I like I almost asked you to like repeat how your deer did it, but I don't think there's any way for us yeah. to do it without yeah, sounding I, totally I, ridiculous. Yeah, it's, it's almost yeah. Yeah, it almost sounds like a it, it's 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 not quite it's not human like. But it's it's almost like a dry heave, and I, I think what it yeah. is is when that happens, it's the deer. Ju- it just so happens at that time his lungs are fully inflated, and there's just a whole lot of pressure directly on those on those lungs, and it and it's just literally a you know the, a force of air. It, it's just mm-hmm. it's more of a you know a lot of times when you shoot a deer with a bow. You have, you know, what kills them is the the cutting effect of soft tissue and the blood loss. But there's other times, I think, where when you hit them right in the center of that kill area and their lungs are fully expanded, there's actually a force. I mean, there's actually a force Mm -hmm. of air being pushed out of their throat. 
from mm-hmm. the yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, that's when you can hang your bow up and you can say, "All right, let me call my partners to come help me." Yeah, it goes back to yeah. the it goes back to the uh, the kind of the uh, the point that we've made in different conversations when we talk about uh, broadheads and we talk about shot placement and all that. If you shoot a basically any broadhead on the market through both lungs, the deer's gonna die. They, you know, yeah. the, the, there's no perfect, there's no scenario in which the deer can survive that. And, and typically that's within, like you said, Eric, an area that you don't really have to worry about it because he's going to be close to you. You know, it's just, yeah. they can't survive that. I mean, that you can't live without your lungs. And so, um, well, yeah. I'm glad you touched on that on broadheads and broadhead selection, because that's that's almost like talking politics or religion because um everybody has their own belief on it i used to shoot for years and years and years probably most of my years of hunting where i'm hunting at i hunted with the old silver streaks that you got from walmart they were typical they were kind of like the um the rocket hammerheads Mm -hmm. or um the rocket um yeah it was like the rocket they're three bladed mechanicals but they had the i i like the bone crusher um um steel points and i shot those i've still got i can't tell you how many of them i've got in my tackle box and i shot them and shot them and shot them and shot them and, and killed numerous deer with them and never had problems and all my partners at the camp was like gilly you on big deer you on big deer you you need to switch you need to go to this you need to go to that you need to you need to get this broadhead because you're going to shoot one of them big old monsters that you've been seeing and you're going to be sorry you didn't do it well this goes back to the story of the 10 point that i killed um in 2018 i killed him on november or i'm sorry on uh january 14th well, on January 11th, I was sitting in that stand. I actually went out there that morning, and I had hung a stand up, and somebody stole my ladder sticks out of my stand. And mm. I said, God dang it. So this is early in the morning. I said, man, I, my other stand's just right down the way, about 200 yards. So I got back in my truck. I drove down. I went to my other stand, and – um. I got there and my sticks were still there. So I climb up in the stand and I'm sitting there mad the whole time and I'm on my cell phone. I'm pissed off. And I said, well, you know what? Something good is going to happen. I'm going to shoot a big old buck. And it was 745 and I heard something to the left of me and it, it sounded like the squirrels that were chasing each other up and down the trees, making all kinds of racket. And I kept looking over there and I said, well, um, there, I don't see no squirrels. And I kept looking, kept looking to my left. And then all of a sudden I saw a rack and I said, oh my God, this is going to go into something else that I want to talk about. But when I seen this deer, I stood up and I got ready and he's coming straight to me down the edge of the thicket. And I said, he's he's dead. I'm going to, I'm going to kill him. And 
as I'm getting ready and I'm standing up, I caught spasms in my back. And my breathing, I could not control my breathing. And the only other big deer that I seen next to this one was the one I saw in 2004. Hmm. And I could not control my breathing. And my back was spasming up so bad that I thought I was going to have to sit down. And I just, I put my head down. Of course, I'm holding my bow in front of my face, but I just put my, my head down and I said, just don't even look at him. And as I'm peeking up through the bill of my hat, he's still coming. And then he makes a turn to his, his left and is crossing in front of me. And I said, he's going to hit the same hole that I done shot about three or four deer in. And I knew the exact yardage. It was 33 yards. He hits that hole and I pull back and I stop him and he stops perfect. And I shot that deer. And when I hit him, I, I hung my bow up and sat down and exhaled air. And I said, I just shot a giant. I just shot a giant and he's dead and he took off up into the thicket. The arrow I thought buried through the dead center of a kill zone. So I called my buddy Randy and I said, man, I just shot a giant. He said, no way. I said, I just shot Mike Lowry. If, if, if one of us call each other and we said we shoot Mike Lowry, that's our code word for a giant. That's that's king. <laughs> so um, I said, I just shot Mike Lowry. He said, no way. I said, yeah. So I'm on the phone with him. He said, did you call your son? I said, no, I called my son. I called him and I'm talking to him and I'm like getting choked up. I said, dude, I just, I finally did it after all these years. I finally killed the man. And about that time, I heard something coming through the water behind me, and I turned and looked. And I said, hold on, there's something else coming. And I turned and looked, and I thought it was a, a doe. Well, it was a coyote. Well, he comes up and stops at the same spot where I shot that deer. So I was like, get out of here. Go, get out of here. And the, the coyote goes and runs straight up the trail that the deer went. I was like, oh, God dang. Let me call my buddy Randy back. So I call him back, and um, I told him what happened. He said, man, you really need to get down and go see what kind of blood you got. I went down. I went over there. The arrow was not where I shot him at. It was about maybe 10 yards or so, 15 feet, 20 feet from where I shot him, and the arrow was sticking straight up in the ground. So I think the deer, you know, flung it out. But when I got to the arrow – the arrow was saturated with blood. There was blood inside the Luminoc. Mm-hmm. That's it was covered. I said, "Oh, this is. I'm gonna have to go kick the coyote off the deer." So I go up to, to where the deer ran, and I actually didn't see. I didn't see blood. I I only saw his hoof tracks. And as I got up into the thicket, then I started finding blood, but not what you would want to find from a, a, a deer that was shot that way. And I said, well, it's going to happen. I mean, he's going to start pumping out. I got about 30 yards up in there, and I found two, two spots of blood that were about eight inches 
on each side. So I knew he was bleeding out of two holes. And I said, well, good. He's, he's going he's gonna to be down. Dude, I did not find but specks after that. And I had my buddy Randy drove four hours up to come help me. And a couple other people came up. We had six people out there looking for that deer for four days. And I did not hunt. We looked for four days and we gritted that area for miles and miles and miles looking for that deer and never found him. To Mm. me, I don't know how with the shot that I made on him that that deer survived. In fact, I looked for him the following year when I went out um, for early season, I went and looked for him for his, his, uh, his skull. But after four days of hunting, for him we went back to the camp and um my partner says what you gonna do you going home i said nope i said i'm mad i said i'm going back to sit in that same damn stand in the morning and something's gonna something's gonna die i don't care if it's a pig or a spike something's gonna die now the the broadheads that i put on there was some I'm not going to name the broadheads, but it was some, well, they're not top broadheads. It's, it's not the ones that everybody likes, but it was some good broadheads. But I firmly believe that you've got to get broadheads that cut very good. I put a good shot on that deer and it just didn't do the job. I just don't think that the, uh, the broadhead opened up. After four days of hunting for him, I said, I'm going back, sitting in that stand the next morning. And I got in that stand the next morning, and at 8.45, I shoot a 171-inch 10-point uh, out the same mm. damn stand. Yeah, I'll I, I tell you a story. I've, I've been shooting Grim Reaper broadheads. That's been mentioned on this podcast many times. I've been shooting them since they first came out, 2006 or seven or whatever. And I've had a lot of success. Which ones? The uh, well, I've shot White a couple. I've shot a couple of different ones, but I just shoot the basic inch and uh, in I think they're inch and five eighths. The ones mm-hmm. with the uh, with the bone crushing tip, the muzzy style tip. I've shot yeah. the whitetail specials as well, but I, I've had basically the same results with all of them. Mm-hmm. And but to your point, to your story, I shot a deer that's hanging on my wall. Um, I don't remember when it was two thousand and. Uh, 12 or 13, something like that. But this deer, um, he, he, I shot him at 35 yards quarter and away and I hit him perfect quarter and away. And I knew I hit him perfect. It was one of those kind of deals where it was a, the deer got past me and was walking away from me and kind of up a hill. And I had a last second, but I had a perfect shot in that last second. And when he went up to the top of the hill and he went over the hill, I, I was convinced that he was going to be just on the other side of the hill. and But I could tell when he got up to the top of the hill, something wasn't right. There was some kind of commotion that happened up at the top of the hill. And uh, to make a long story short, uh, coyotes got on him, you know, before he went down. And they started chasing him. And I went 1.7 miles before I found him. Now, difference between this deer and your deer was I had a steady... I had a steady blood trail the whole way. The, I mean, it was he was easy to find, but the shot that I put on him, I got both lungs, the top of his heart, 
and it can't like it was such a hard quarter and shot that I shot him way far back, quartering way up, and the arrow was sticking out the bottom of his basically his where his throat kind of ends into his chest. I yeah. went all the way through his vitals and was stuck out right there. And the when I I I, I saw this happen and I knew something wasn't right, and I got down within like twenty minutes and started following him. And I walked at a steady pace, which with the GPS deal, 1.7 miles. And I, when I found him, there were three coyotes on him. And yeah. what I what what came to be was there were some coyotes on top of the hill, and I didn't know it. And he ran right into them, and they started mm. chasing him. Moral of the story being, this deer wouldn't have went more than a couple hundred yards at the most, if even that far. When yeah. A, when a coyote gets on him. He basically ran till he was dead. He didn't yeah. have any blood left in him. I caped him and quartered him on the ground because he went way on the neighbor's property, and I couldn't get in touch with the neighbor to drive in there with my truck to get him, and I had to cape him and quarter him. And I caped him and quartered him in the woods on the ground, and there was hardly no blood in him. I mean, he, he literally yeah. bled completely out. And yeah. it's just what a, what a deer can do when something starts chasing them, the, the adrenaline rush that they can get. They can get away from you even when you do have a good shot. Now, like I said, the big difference between your story and my story is I literally was walking at a steady pace, and I could see blood five steps in front of me the whole way. I mean, there was no problem yeah. with following him. But, yeah, I mean, yeah. I don't know how how long this, this, this time frame was for you, but if that coyote got on him before he bedded down the first time, he could have pushed him, you know, way out of there. Oh, no, he was on him within probably five minutes of – five yeah. minutes of me shooting him yeah he could have pushed him way out of there yeah but i'm gonna tell you what yeah i mean i don't know y'all frown on promoting stuff but i'm gonna tell you what those the grim reaper broadheads i switched to a couple years ago and those are some mean mean son of a guns if you shoot mechanicals and you're a mechanical person some people like fixed broadheads that's fine those grim reapers are some bad dudes they are I'm, i have shot so, a lot of deer with a lot of different broadheads and i don't know if i can switch off of them not of not from what i've seen I from have the them same opinion so yeah. if we so if we're going to talk I, I i want i want to make this normal i want to make this a normal conversation like transition when people talk broadheads if you're going to tell us what broadheads you're shooting Tell us about your arrow setup and your bow, your poundage, draw length, and all that stuff. What, what What's your total setup? Well, I shoot – my draw length is, is uh, 29 inches. I mean, I shoot a PSE uh, Corbin Air, and, um, of course, I shoot Luminox. I mean, I, I just started shooting those probably um, four or five years ago, um, but – huge advantage if you shoot luminox i mean if you mm-hmm. blow through the deer at least you can find it if the air if the if the arrow goes through the deer and then skips off a log and goes 40 more yards at least you can find it and find what kind of blood you have but um i mean um i shoot grim reapers um uh what kind of what about your, what about your arrow? arrows yeah, yeah. I'm shooting gold tips, gold tips, and um, 
I may switch. Um, I may switch next year. I don't know, but um, I only switch because the guy that I rely on a lot is uh, Jay James at uh, mm-hmm. uh, Jay's Archery. Um, he's one of my good partners. He's always set my bows up for me whenever I even shot competitive archery. That's the only guy that I would let work on my bow. Um, um, so I kind of lean on him a lot for, uh, advice of what to shoot. Um, I think there's a lot of other good arrows out there, whatever you want to shoot. This goes back to your confidence. If you think, Mm -hmm. if you think Grim Reapers are the best, if you think gold tips or Maxis or whatever you want to shoot is, is, is your ticket then when you get in that stand, you need to have 100% confidence in your equipment because when you draw back on a deer, your mind, it, it, it goes through so many different things, when you, especially if it's a, if it's a, a Boone and Crockett deer, you know, a, you know, 170-inch deer, you don't want to say, oh, my God, is my broadhead going to work? Is uh, is my draw length right? You know, you got to have 100% confidence in your equipment so that you can focus on what you're doing. Um, I think this leads in a little bit, Kai, to what me and you talked about, about I told you in our previous conversation about flipping the switch. Um, mm-hmm. People have asked me, Eric, you know, what were you, I mean, how did you even do this or do that? Or how did, I said, well, whenever that big deer came on me that I told you my back spasmed and, and, you know, I couldn't breathe and, you know, and then I spent four days looking for him. Well, I spent sleepless nights talking with myself and I said, Eric, what, what did you do wrong? the first thing I said to myself was, first of all, you freaked out. You freaked out and you couldn't get control of your body. And I said, you cannot do that. You cannot do that. I said, you've got to change something. And four days later, when that 171 inch, 20 and a half inch wide, 10 point come walking straight to me from 45 yards, they said, were you nervous? I said, no. I was not. I said I was mad. I was mad, but I learned something. I learned something from what I did four days before. And I Mm -hmm. I was mad. And that deer, I was at full draw from 45 yards until he got right under me. And I said, I still can't shoot him. I said, I don't want to shoot this deer straight down. In fact, I thought I was going to have to shoot him at 45 yards because I thought he was going to cross the water. But then he turned like he had a hook in his nose he could just come straight to me but when he got right under me i still said no i cannot take this shot and he ended up going out about 15 yards and turned broadside at 15 yards and posed for me and i put it through him and i never felt one bit of nervousness um i don't even know how to explain it but i did not feel one bit of nervousness until 
I shot that deer and I watched him run 45 yards and fall over dead. And then I said, Oh my God, it just happened. So I, at that, at that time, that morning, I learned in my brain to flip the switch. And I think Kai, you called it code switching or. Yeah. It's called, yeah. It's, it's, it, yeah, it's called, co- well, it's a form of, it's a form of code switching and, um, it, it's funny because like I, I never really intended for this to happen, but over the years we've done the podcast, for some reason I keep bringing up like all these psychological things that interest me as well. Because I, I may, maybe it's because bow hunting is there's so many decisions and deliberate actions to take, and then also there's a mental aspect of it too that are that isn't really <clears throat> that isn't really um, uh, found as prevalently in other styles of hunting. And, um, but code, code switching is, um, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of related to like a survival skill in a sense. It's a, it's a subconscious way that your brain, um, switches into a mode in order to accomplish something for a certain period of time in order to be successful or stay alive. And in, in this instance, um, it's about you go into a different mode. Like it's almost like you open a different room of your brain in which you can be in that room and stay controlled and not freak the F out, which is what you really, <laughs> everything in your being wants to freak out. Right. Yeah. And, and you have to literally not fight it, but you have to suppress that and that suppression and, and actually, keeping yourself under control that action and that deliberateness is actually a form of code shifting where you're technically overriding your body's natural function of freaking out and by staying in control you are ensuring that you're going to have an outcome that you're happy with whereas otherwise you're going to blow it and you're just going to be upset with yourself like those are your two options in that exact moment that's your that's your left turn right turn options and um and so, yeah, I, I mean, I love talking about this stuff because there's so many things that we do subconsciously as humans that we never think about. We never talk about it. We never even consider it. And then, um, like in this instance, like when you're talking about deer hunting, once you know that you do it and you're cognizant of the fact that you go into a different part of your brain to stay in control of a situation in a high stress situation like that then you know how to do it better in the future now like the there's some negative byproducts of it and that's the fact that if you get a little too good at it then you don't get that it's like you almost can like suppress the endorphin rush entirely and that like that's to me that sounds terrible like i hope i never stop freaking out about it and i hope like the second i make the shot and see the deer run off and die I, you know i'll get all excited then but like if you suppress it too hard then it, it never comes back you know you you never get that excitement back i think it, there there's so, a there's a whole process to this and sure and it, well so a couple things that, that came to mind as you were saying that and and the story that that led you into it is, you know, so last week Dudley talked about how he has a, a Buckeye acorn that he carries around with him that he yeah. always fidgets with, and that occupies his mind when he's watching a deer approach to keep him from going into that. He 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 used the fight or flight kind of mental approach where you freak, you know, which I guess in this case could be, you know, paralleled to 
the left and right turn that you're talking about? Do you freak out or do you go into a, a mode where you're focused? And yeah. another thing that we've talked about on here before uh, about, you know, we, we often say, Kyler coined this uh, phrase, but we use it a lot. We're learning to be less bad at bow hunting, not uh, <laughs> not necessarily yeah. – uh, not necessarily getting good or perfecting. We're just learning to be less bad. And in doing that, you learn how to approach this whole process. And I guess if we want to like bring this whole conversation back to some of what we, we started out with just, you know, wanting to talk a little bit about the style of hunting and this persistence and staying in one place and how you choose how you're going to hunt there. And then that persistence paying off and that style of hunting, I, I, I would, I would present to you, and and I do this. I absolutely 100% do this. And this might seem to be almost like uh, I'm going to throw Michael Pepper's name out there. And, and I know he's going to be listening to this and he's going to be like, what are you fixing to say about me? But Of course, he, he wouldn't <laughs> miss an episode, man. No way. <laughs> but you know how how absolutely obsessive compulsive he is about scent control. Yeah. Yeah, I am, yeah, you're right. I am that way about how I set up in a tree. Mm-hmm. And I'm that way about how I set up in a tree because of what you guys have led me into this and there is this i have this 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 way i look at things where there are sometimes a tree that i think people try to they don't take into consideration everything that it takes to kill deer specifically big deer they try to eliminate all possible barriers, and that's not realistic. There are barriers that you have to work against, that you have to work around, that you have to learn how to deal with, and you have to to uh, learn to use some of those things to your advantage. And what I mean is people will go climb on a freaking light pole because there's no way there's gonna, they're going to miss a shot anywhere around them. But what have they right. done to themselves when that target animal gets in bow range? They've put themselves in such a high-stress environment that they can't, they they're making it really hard on themselves to get mm-hmm. into a situation where they can control these things and they can do that that flip that switch and go into kill mode because they're standing in the wide open and they can't move mm-hmm. you know i mean this conversation can be had about a lot of different things but i'm just trying to kind of parallel it to what we're talking about right here i set up in a way where i've got the freedom what i do I don't have anything that I fidget with. I don't have any particular little niche that I do to to kind of override my brain and keep myself from getting excited. I've said this before in other conversations. What I do is I identify the animal, and once I know I'm going to shoot him, I just I, I go strictly into shot process. I start watching the animal yep. and focusing on what I'm going to do to shoot him, and I and I do everything I can to not let myself visualize holding those horns. I don't want to imagine which direction he's going to run off. I don't want to imagine, you know, oh, how am I going to, you know, show my buddies this deer? Nothing. I I focus on. Make it happen. I focus on, you know, what's about to happen and how I can do it in the most efficient way. And Mm -hmm. part of that whole process starts before I ever climb up in the tree because I want to be in a spot where I might not have as much freedom in front of me. But if my preparation works, I've got the freedom to focus and to be hidden the correct way and to have the freedom to actually go through my whole process and not get myself in an impossible high-stress situation where I end up having to do something very difficult, unusual, out of the ordinary. And mm-hmm. 
it's one of the reasons why I knock on wood, cross my fingers, it doesn't happen to me, but I haven't lost a deer in a long time. I haven't lost very many deer. Um, I mean, the one last year I, I didn't find for a couple of days, but still found it, still, still found counts. it. And, and, and it, but it, but that situation <laughs> happened, um, a little bit different without reliving it that, but you know, when I shoot a deer, it, it's most likely, unless it's a, unique situation which could happen the next time I go hunting but I kind of have all this planned out and it's planned out for some of these reasons we're talking about I I don't you know it's to me there's not it's a risk reward diminishing returns or whatever you want to call it if I say well that tree right there if I climb in that tree right there any deer that comes anywhere around me is going to be in bow range he's going to be in the open I'm going to have an open shot well that's great but what good does that do if it puts you in a compromised position where you can't execute Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah. when, when I set myself up to where I might not have a shot in every direction, but the places I got a shot, if I draw this bow back, that dude's dead. Yep. You know? Yep. And so that's kind of part of how I adjust to that is I try not to put myself in compromised situations. I like the way you said it when you said high stress. I try not to put myself, it's already stressful. The whole thing is stressful, you know, and I try yep. to put myself in a situation where that doesn't happen, and that starts way before I ever even see the animal. Yeah. yeah, and something you said when when I draw back and and when I draw back and I find my peep and I get centered up, then it's almost like shooting a shotgun. You know how your 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 instincts of shooting a shotgun once you look down the barrel. Once I look down that peep, I'm following that deer, but yet my eyes are still looking forward of where this deer is traveling. And I'm saying, here's my shots. This is, well, first of all, I don't draw until I know that I can draw without his, the, the, the big deer that I shot this year, I had, he was coming right to me. I had to wait. I've got the bow up in front of me waiting to draw, but I was watching his eyes. He was probably about 25, 30 yards. And I said, I'm going to wait till his eyes are about to hit this tree. It wasn't a big tree, maybe about 12 inches around. But I'm going to draw as soon as his eyes are hitting that tree, but he's walking, and I drew. By the time I'm at full draw, his eyes are hitting the other side of that tree. And I said, I got you. I got you now. I'm at full draw, and I'm looking through my peep, and I'm watching him. And I'm. But at one point, he stopped as he's walking to me, and he was behind uh, some – vines and you know vines that were hanging out of the tree and there was no way i could sneak an arrow through there it would have been an unethical shot but that deer stopped and it almost reminded me of the deer in 2004 he stopped and he looked up and scanned and then he looked like almost dead in my eyes at full draw and i said i am screwed (laughs) <laughs> he's looking right at me and i said i am screwed and i just stayed there calm i wasn't like i did on the the, the deer two years ago I, I wasn't freaking out but i just stayed calm and he put his head down and he came on walking as he came mm-hmm. on walking i said oh yeah you're fixing to die you're fixing to die and and as he's walking to me, it still, I had probably 10 shots to shoot him before he got to me. 
And I said, I can't shoot him. I cannot shoot him like that. And as he got almost directly under me, I shot him at seven steps. He made a little turn to his left and he gave me his shoulder. And when he did, I stopped him. And that's when I put the arrow through him. But when he looked at me, I said, I'm screwed. I'm, I'm fixing to get busted. But he only had one eye. <laughs> I think if a lot of people were honest with Wait, you. wait, he only had one eye? He only had – this, this deer was so beat up, Ty. He had – when I <laughs> – when, when I finally got up to him and I'm looking at him on the ground, I thought he actually had been shot through the neck with an arrow because he had a slash on one side of his neck, a slash on the other. I said, well, somebody shot him with a damn rage or something through the neck. And then I got to looking. Well, he had about it looked like somebody took a switchblade to the back of his neck behind his behind his ears. He had probably six or seven slash wounds. His his left ear had a big gash in the back of it, like somebody had sliced the back of his ear, but it was it was all scabbed up. His horns all around his horns. My taxidermist was like, holy crap, because everything when he was trying to do it was just all just mangled up and his left eye was put out he had like his his left eye was nothing but it was real small 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 like a like a marble and it was white and his hmm. eye was closed up so i mean but i did That's shoot wild. him on his good side i shot him on his on his on his good eye side <laughs> i think i think if a lot of people were uh, i mean obviously everybody that bow hunts hears the stories not even yearly but almost weekly yeah unfortunately in our sport a lot of deer get away and uh, everybody's always beating themselves up about what happened what happened and you know to the point of our conversation the fact that you were able to remain calm and wait on that shot I, th I think if people were honest with themselves and they look back on some of the mishaps they've had when that happens their anxiety gets the best of them and they take a bad shot i i really believe Sure. That that happens more than we want to admit, and sometimes it might be even hard to admit to our. I mean, I I know I killed a, a deer in Nebraska a couple of years ago. It's one of the bigger deer I've I've ever killed with a bow, and I mean, I killed the deer. He didn't run two hundred yards, but it, you know, I, when it was all said and done, luckily it was all on video camera, so I could see. Um, I, I I didn't wait till the deer needed to take one more step because his 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 leg was back. So you know that shoulder blade was really, really right. back and covering up a lot of those vitals. And so I didn't get the penetration that I wanted. And it kind of deflect the arrow instead of it going right through him. It kind of deflected out the bottom of him, and it you know it it took him a while to bleed out. He just he ran out there and bedded up, and 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 it wasn't a big deal as far as us finding him. But just looking back on it, it's just you know you draw back and you anchor, and that deer's walking, and you're trying to you know everything happens. And one I don't remember exactly what it was with this situation other than i only had one spot to shoot him in and it, and it wasn't but a couple more steps and he was out of my spot and, I, and and that anxiety starts to creep up on you and i squeezed the shot off i should have let him take one more step and get that shoulder blade out and it would have went right through him and i probably would have watched him fall on the other side of that clearing you know um those kind of things happen so much and that's why it is like like i said going back to the way I set up, I set up in a way where I know there's a there's a chance that if I set up here, 
I may have to watch a really nice deer walk right out of my life, but I'm not going to be in a situation where I've, you know, kind of more or less uh, forced myself or made a mistake of taking a questionable shot. I mean, I, I go into it with that kind of – because it's so easy to do. It's It's not like, you know, that's not something – to your point, Kyler, if it ever gets to the point where it's not exciting on some level, then, you know, what are we doing it for? And and so the fact that yeah. we are, it's easy to make mistakes. And so you yeah. got to have that process. Once you commit to it, you got to have that process and those checks and balances within what you're doing to make sure to do the best you can to keep from, from, from having those blunders where, well, now I'm here, but I can't stand up and draw because I really shouldn't have been in this tree. Or, you know, I'm I'm so amped up and I've not suppressed it. I've not developed that that calm and that focus to where I'm I'm about to just let one go, knowing that there's too much crap in the way, and I'm gonna you know end up sticking him in the hind quarter or some crap like that, or deflected arrow or any of those kind of things. Man, that's all just a this. It's all part of what we have to do as bow hunters. It's it's the it's it's kind of the maddening part though. You know, it's the hard part. Yeah, sure. I, I, yeah. If it was if it was easy, everybody'd do it, you know. Yeah. Um. Well, well, what what uh what Eric was saying about um, I don't I don't want to say that you got you got busted. That doesn't count as getting busted. Being noticed and then the deer continuing on is is very normal. And I don't think I've mentioned this on the podcast. I, I've made several posts about this, but. I have become a believer in the last two or three years that if you don't move, they cannot see you. And I mean like looking right at you cannot see you. If you don't move in any capacity, if a deer spots you and looks right at you, they might do the head weave thing. They might do the head bob thing where they're, you know, they try and fake you out, look down, look away, and then look back again real fast. But if a, if if a deer does that twice in a row, which they usually do, and um, and they don't get a reaction out of you, then you're not a threat to them. Is what I think yeah. the conclusion is. They know yeah. you. They know you're there, and they know you're not normal. But mm-hmm. I think they kind of conclude, mm-hmm. well, if he was going to hurt me, he would have already done it, or if he was going to mm-hmm. move, he would have when I tried to fake him out. And so, like I I relate deer, bucks, does. You know, any all of them. I relate them to a T Rex. You don't move; they can't see you. Um, and uh, I, that's kind of proof of it. If you don't give them anything to freak out about, or this is the big lesson for a lot of people: if you don't try and draw when you are like in it, that when you have been noticed, and you wait until they they move, they keep walking again or keep going on. You can get a shot just like you did, and you can get multiple shots. But having that wherewithal and that ability to, to kind of, for back a letter, for lack of better terms, keep your shit together until you get that shot yeah. opportunity. That I really think that's just where experience comes in. I think that's I think that is the ultimate reward for hunting for a long time, um, or the ultimate takeaway is just knowing when to move and how, and and more importantly, when not to do something. You know, and it's it's what that deer is going to accept at that time. If, mm-hmm. if if he accepts what he sees, then he's and he's cool with it. Then you're fine. But you know, I've had I've had many a deer real close to me, and I have a 
I have several different things that I do. I always keep the bow up in front of my face, but if that deer looks me in the eyes, I squint my eyes so that I don't blink. <laughs> me too. <laughs> yeah. Because if you blink, yeah. if you blink, you're gone. His eyesight is so good. So I squint my eyes and so that he can't, because it only takes one movement. It only takes one yep. deep breath. Um, one movement of your finger, one movement of your head. I mean, I go completely stone cold. And once they accept it, I've had many a deer just say, okay, he's cool. They might, yep. they might kind of do the high stomp and kind of, you know, walk away, but they're not going to and blow and go out. If they blow and go I out. I think that's a bluff. I think that's a bluff sometimes when they start like if they're upwind from you and you don't move, but they notice you in the tree like a blob. Sometimes I'll see them do that light stomp like you're saying. And it's there. I, I think they're just trying to get you to move. I don't think they're actually fearful of you. If they were, they would have run away already. Mm-hmm. I see them do that as a bluff sometimes. I've seen does do that. I, I agree with you. I've had does. I, I, I mean, I, I understand the principle and I think, for the most part that you have you, you're on to something but it you know situationally dependent i think that if you don't set up right and and you're not set up in a good way for the the way the deer are approaching they can see you even if you sit still they may not identify you as well as if you were moving around but they'll they'll blow out of there but i've had does do that where I agree with you. I think that it's almost like they know something's not right, and they've got mm-hmm. you silhouetted, and you're not moving, and it's almost like she gives you that that short, just little short blow, and she don't even run off. She just stomps and blows mm-hmm. at the same time, and it it is because I don't know if any if if either of you have ever had this happen. I actually had this happen to me um, the last hunt I made. I had a doe with a yearling coming into me, and um. She she did this whole thing where she walked and looked at me and then walked 10 yards to my right and looked at me and then walked back 10 yards to my left and looked at me. And it was like she knew I was up there, but I just wasn't moving around. And she got about 15 or 20 yards in front of me, and it was, you know, like that last 30 minutes of daylight, and the woods were just still and quiet, you know. And it was like when she stomped and blew, it was like it shook everything. You know, all the squirrels just, like, freaked out. You just heard squirrels for hundreds of yards around, like, running up trees. All the birds flushed. Like, she just disturbed everything. And I, I, I thought to myself exactly what you just said, Kyler. I thought to myself, like, she's – because she had no intention of running off when she did it. You know, she, she didn't go anywhere. She stood right there looking right at me and just stomped as hard as she could and did one of those short, loud snorts. And it was like she was trying to get me to move. She was, you know – um, it seemed that way anyway. I don't know. I, I I've had them do that so many times that it's the only thing that makes sense because it. it I I would like to hear from somebody that has some information on this because if you if you hunt long enough and you encounter enough deer, there's a whole language behind how they blow and how they snort that I don't think we understand. And I'm not talking mm-hmm. about snort. I, obviously, we know what snort wheezing is with bucks when it comes to dominance. But if you really listen to the way does blow when they're when they're curious and when they're 
spooked and when they're yeah. kind of half spooked. They do lots of di- it. I think we just kind of take it at face value too often that oh, when a deer's disturbed or spooked, they just snort and run off. But that ain't what they do. They, I had a deer yeah. this year. I heard a a doe comes blowing, and I was in Oklahoma, and I could hear a deer blowing like two or three hundred yards. It sounded like away from me. And it was running. It was doing that almost where you could hear like it was blowing every time its hoofs hit. And it was coming straight to me. And I thought, well, it must be a coyote chasing this doe or something. And it came as fast as it could run, came run right past me with a buck right behind it grunting. And it was blowing like every five or six seconds it would blow. Wow. And I thought, I mean, I heard it coming from out of this bottom up onto this kind of saddle in the top of this ridge where I was hunting. And you could, you know, when it got close enough, I could hear it. I could hear its hooves. I could hear it running. Dun, 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 dun. It sounded exactly like a deer running off the side of a hill, blowing at me that I had spooked. Except it was running straight to me, and I was up in the stand with the wind in my face. And it ran right past me with a little buck chasing it, grunting the whole way. And it blew constantly. It blew from 300 yards to my right till as far as I could hear it to my left. It ran right past me, blowing the whole way. And I thought yeah. to myself, we don't really understand all the language of of does specifically when they blow. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, yeah. They're they're the alarm in the woods. Um, I think use that. They use that as a a communication and not just a slight spooked type of thing. Man, there's one thing I want to touch on um, before this gets too far along. Um, and Kai, this probably goes back to something that you've probably um, looked into is is like your energy. Of what your body puts out i know they they have these suits what are they called x hex. suits or something hex hex suits or whatever yeah. and um there's a, a another good friend of mine john's john stebbins and um he he talked with me he said he said eric he goes you just have that that big buck energy and i was like what are you talking about he goes man and he started talking to me in depth about this, and it, it kind of got like I was like, "What the hell is he talking about?" And and then I kind of watched that stuff about them suits that your body puts out energy. And this sounds weird, probably to anybody that's listening, that your body puts out energy. But I kind of relate it to if you're sitting at a bar or something, or if you're sitting at, and you feel somebody looking at you, and you're like, "Man, so I feel like you turn around, and look, and sure enough, somebody's looking at you." I've kind of moved that stuff into my deer hunting and your energy of what you put out. This goes back to your calmness. Um, going back to my story of when I was freaking out, there's no doubt that that deer felt my energy. There's no doubt he knew something was up. I could just tell by his body language that he knew. That's why he turned the way he did. If not, he would have continued on his path. Yeah. Um, it goes to the other story that I told where the the 10 point that I shot walking straight to me and I was mad. I, I had I had no energy of nervousness. I was actually mad <laughs> and that deer never knew I was there. The first buck that I killed this year, 129 inch deer. And when I seen him, I was like, man, good deer. 
combined with flipping the switch that we talked about, I flipped that switch and I said, man, you can't do it. The deer's coming up and I know that I'm going to get the shot. A lot of other people, when they know they're going to get that shot, that, that energy builds up so much in them that they're like, oh my God, this is fixing to happen. And then, oh, it means like you wouldn't even hold a wine glass in front of them because they just shake the wine out of it, you know? Mm-hmm. If you flip that, if you have the energy that I'm going to kill you and this is going to happen, that's what I've learned to do in, well, since, since I messed up on that other big deer, I firmly believe that your energy that you put out, um, a few days before I shot, um, um, this 161 inch a buddy of mine i put in a stand of mine he shoots at a deer it was probably 130 inch he said it was comparable to my my first deer and he shoots at it and he messes up and hits a hits a branch or something and the the arrow went under the deer and i told him i said why i said let me tell you something i said that's good that it happened to you that's good it happened to you son because now you know what you need to do the next time if it would happen as easy as you think that it happens to me, then it wouldn't be fun. So now you need to build off of it. You know, um, realize that you need to stay calm. You need to think about all the factors. Don't think about your bow. Don't think about your draw. Think about where's this deer passing. I know the exact yardage and I know the exact spot I need to hit on that deer. When all that stuff focuses in, um, that energy right there, I think transfers a lot. Some people are going to listen to this and they're going to say, Eric Gildy thinks he's the best damn deer hunter in the world because he killed a 10 point and he killed an eight point. <laughs> he, he thinks he's the best deer hunter in the world. I don't think that at all, but I'm telling y'all what I think has, what I have figured out for myself and what I firmly believe there's a lot of people that have been out there hunting and said well I had a 150 inch deer in front of me and I freaked out you know I you know I I got buck fever you know buck fever control it you're probably going to have it on your first one your second one or your third one but when you learn to control that energy I firmly believe that 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 right there, when when it, when you finally control it, it's going to come together for, for a lot of people who have another big buck comes in, and they're going to go, man, I did that shit perfect. I did it perfect. <laughs> well, I think, I think a, a, a way to describe what you're saying, and you, you guys, I don't, you, you may agree with what I'm going to say or not, but I, if you walk into a room, people don't have to say much. They don't have to do much for you to know if there's tension in a room. You know, mm-hmm, like uh-huh. you, you know, as soon as you get in a, in the immediate presence of people, um, kind of the air of the room, and I, I don't, I don't know, but I, when I hear you talk about that, and I agree with what you're saying, anxiety causes chaos, and uh, these animals they walk around in the, in this environment that we're hunting them in all the time. 
You know, it's it's just that the old common people say, well, yeah, if I, you know, if you walked in your house and someone was hiding in your living room, you know, you'd be the first to find them. You'd be the first to know if anything was out of place. That's your bedroom. And mm-hmm. I, I mean, yeah, all that's right. I mean, it, yeah, you go in there and you make changes to their environment, and they're going to recognize <laughs> it. Um, things that that may not be all that recognizable, they're going to pick it out because they're there. But they're also there all the time, the with everything else. You know, with the way the other animals in the in the uh, in 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 the surrounding area, the way they're acting, they act a certain way around these deer all the time. And if they approach an, an area and you're sitting in a tree and you're trying to get them within 50 yards to shoot them with a bow, and when they get within that range, everything is different. Everything feels different, you know, and, and, and all that kind of thing. I don't really know how we gauge this. I don't really believe in the science or the technology behind the hex suit thing. I you know, I, maybe it works. I'm not. I'm not trying to debunk a product, or I'm not trying to say don't buy it. I think they make a, a some quality stuff as far as a base layer and all that. But it's hard for me to really understand um, mm-hmm. how all that science works. Not maybe it does, and I just don't understand it. But I believe there's something to set be, being something to say about being calm and having that mm-hmm. demeanor. And and the best way I know how to explain it to somebody is is very simply when you you, you know. You, you know how it feels when you're when you walk in a yard with a dog. Can, I mean, how many times have you been around a, a dog and and you know if that dog has aggression, whether he's showing it or not? You can just feel it. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think the same thing can be said. I think it's very it's very logical for us to think that that buck. You know, we just talked er, earlier when we first started this conversation. We we're talking about the persistence of saying staying in a spot and. How many times that deer passes in the night? How many times he passes when you're not there? How many times mm-hmm. he detects you and doesn't pass and you never know it? All these different things. But all of what it equates to is that if you're killing that deer there most of the time, he's that ain't his first rodeo. He's been through there. That's his area. That's why you're there. That's why you're staying in there and you're killing multiple deer out of one spot. Well, mm-hmm. even if you kill all three of your bucks in one season out of one spot, that's only a fraction of the amount of time that those animals spend in that spot. And so yep. when they get into your into in, into your immediate presence, if you're freaked out, it very it stands to reason that they can sense that. I mean, just it makes sense. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Agree. Yeah. I don't know. Let I don't know how you calculate all that. Thing, uh, this this deer that I killed. Um, you'll need to be more specific. Land hunter, uh, private land hunters that I I know uh, around me. They had pictures. I've got probably about 16 pictures of this eight point that I killed. One of them was from three miles away on an, on an island. Okay. And other pictures they had was from seven miles away to the west of where I killed him. Private land owners two miles to the east of me had pictures from last year and this year of that deer that I killed. So anybody that thinks that they can go out there and you can go target a deer, but these deer travel. That deer was traveling seven miles one way and two miles the other at least. And um, I think you, you know, have to know where you're hunting because I don't, I, I don't think that that is – I don't think it's the same everywhere. I think deer do travel more than we realize, just as a general rule. But I just, I, I think it goes back to 
like you talked about you hunt travel routes and that's like a statistical advantage if you're going to spend a lot of time in the woods spend a lot of time in the most likely area where a deer is going to pass because yep. they frequently pass there and then try to understand I, I mean i think based off deer density and geography and all that uh, mm-hmm. has a lot to do with how much deer travel like there's certain areas i, I you know where I don't think deer do roam as much for whatever reason, because of the food availability, because of the geography, because of the deer density in the herd in the area. And then there's other places where, to like to your point with your, where the deer move a whole, whole lot, you know, they, they, they go a long way. But I think that, you know, one of the things that, you know, as we run low on time here, like one of the things that we kind of came into this podcast uh, episode with was just talking about the persistence of, of kind of sticking with a spot and why you choose those spots and why you hunt with persistence. And you're a, a great case scenario for that because of the success you've had. But, uh, that's my thing is, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 there's a lot of ways you can target an a deer, but it's just like with, with, for me, it's like with baseball, you know, the way you manage baseball is to statistical advantages. You put yourself and because you're going to fail more than you succeed in that game. Mm-hmm. And we're going to, in terms of just simply killing a deer or getting a shot at a deer, we sit mm-hmm. in the stand way more times than we don't shoot a deer than we do that we actually do shoot a deer, right? So it's a pretty good comparison. So instead of throwing darts at a, at a, at a, uh, at a board and, and trying to come up with this new hit-the-jackpot kind of plan every weekend that we go hunting, I like your style because you know the deer are there. The sign is there. It's been proven to you over and over. And, yes, it might not be one deer because they may be roaming along a long ways in that area. But you know that when the conditions are right, you're in a high probability area that the deer you're after are going to pass through there. And I, I, So yeah. I, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I hunt a lot the way you do. I like, I like your style. I think, it's, uh, I think it is something also to be – even more considered by bow hunters because we're limited you know we need to put ourselves in a situation where we're effective with that bow you know with a rifle you can move all around and you can really expand your range and cover and do different with a bow you better be in a spot where you're in bow range of those of of those patterns of those travel routes and all that kind of stuff and so um i love the persistence approach i think i I think it's insightful i like i like your stories well i only saw three deer from that stand (laughs) <laughs> in three weeks <laughs> but you killed all of them i killed all yeah. of them but um, <laughs> hey that's that's hall of fame numbers if we're comparing baseball yeah <laughs> yeah that's uh that's i mean that's usually people just want to hunt one deer's ghost you know um if uh if people you know people people have the opportunity to hunt the ghost of three deers out of three deer out of the same spot i think that's I think that's got to be exciting for ghost hunters out there. You know, there's, there's a lot, uh, this is what I love. Like when, when, I, <clears throat> when we posted your deer, um, on Facebook, uh, or on the, the, the Facebook page, got a lot of responses. And, um, I'm, I'm noticing, uh, this is a quick segue to this. I'm noticing that a lot of non bow hunters are in the Louisiana bow hunter community. Okay, there's, and I don't know why there's this influx of non bow hunters, but they seem to not even be 
within a hundred feet of a mindset of a bow hunter commenting on stuff. <laughs> it makes no sense to me. It's like, it's as if it's, it's as if like I joined like a gardening group, but mm-hmm. I have never planted a flower in my life with, why am I in this group? You know, why am I engaged in this conversation? And there was one guy that said, why don't you tell us where it was killed? And I, I responded back. I was just like, stop, you know, stop. Yes. Period. Like we, this ain't the place, bro. Like this isn't Louisiana sportsman, you know, yeah. we're not going to blow this guy's spot because you want to go try and, you know, trudge all over this place, trying to find it. And, um, and then he re- replies back. Well, if I killed a deer on public land, I would let people know where it was. Well, that tells me you've never one single time in your life killed a deer on public land. That is literally the the last thing. (laughs) There's literally the last thing that somebody that finds success on public land is thinking about doing (laughs) is telling more people about it, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and so like we have we've reached this point in the internet these days where if, if this is what I think like a problem in America is, is everybody thinks their opinion matters even when it is totally irrelevant to the topic they have to say something and mm-hmm. um, I don't understand like I, I don't understand why people would think that's a reasonable thing to do. Hey, this guy, Eric, killed three deer out of the same tree. He's been hunting here a while, and he's had other success here. Eric, tell him where it is. <laughs> like, yeah. like, what kind of what person would do that? You know, it doesn't make any sense to me. And that that's one of the things, like, I'm, I will, until the day I die, I will be extremely – um, protective of uh, a bow hunter spots, especially guests or posts that we make. Um, sometimes I'll just say an area. Sometimes I'll say, uh, you know, a part of the state. I very rel- very seldom will I even get any close to a even like mention a parish even. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, because I don't want these guys that have found great spots having people that don't know how to find their own spots barging all over in the middle of the rut, you know, mm-hmm. trying to try, trying to, trying to find their spot. But, um, and that's anyways. why I singled out with y'all because I mean, I know that's how y'all feel. And I had other people call me on that deer I killed in 2018. And, you know, they wanted to know where it was killed. They wanted to know this and that. And I said, I'm not going to tell you where it was killed. I'm not. And you know what? I never heard from them again, but you know what? When I, I don't, when I, I don't, I don't want the, the front page of a magazine. I don't care about that stuff. It really doesn't matter to me. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. But if you if you want to if you want to hear about my experience and how I killed him and 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 what I use and what broadheads I use, what scent I use, what whatever, then that's fine. I will. But you know, if you want to come sit in my stand for three weeks and not see nothing, come sit with me. <laughs> you yeah. know. Come this sit is, with me. This is I get this fairly often. I get people that will do an article with some another publication or, or another company or another a podcast even sometimes. And um I almost always get a, an email or a text or a phone call back and they're like, Man, 
they they ran exactly where I killed this deer. Like like they they like they like it, it was killed in Big Branch. Like mm-hmm. oh, oh my god! Like there there Big Branch is like twelve hundred acres or something. Yeah. I, I, my spot's ruined, and um and and that's and that's the thing is in in I try I try not I don't ever tell people not to do an article with somebody else, but I will tell them what they can expect from that publication. And um, what happens is a lot of times you get writers, literal writers that are paid like for an X, X paragraph or X article length um, job. And their job is to extract information to you and tell it to the rest of the world. It, it is not, it does not come from, a bow hunter wanting your story to make other people better at bow hunting. It comes from, we need content. My job is to find it. I don't really care if I ruin your spot. That's not my problem, bro. And um, I I think that's wrong. I I don't agree with that. I'll fight tooth and nail against that as long as I can, because – to me, like bow hunting is a sacred thing. It's all—it's already hard enough. We don't need to be attracting attention to our exact spots or properties. You know, yeah. we don't need to be doing well, that. God, that's why I contacted. Well, I messaged you and and I told you. I said, you know, I'd I'd much rather talk with y'all because I know your feelings on it, and and that's exactly why I, you know spoke with y'all because I, I know your, your feelings on it, you know, keep, keep that stuff sacred, you know, as much as possible. I mean, internet people are going to find out whatever. And like I said, if they want to come sit in my spot, come sit, <laughs> but mm-hmm. you, you're sure. not gonna, you're not going to see a hundred deer. I promise you. You're not well, gonna let see me, let me ask you this. When you were sitting that long, did you ever see another person? Um, another, another hunter that you didn't know, obviously. Mm, no, I didn't. Um, I didn't. Um, the year after I killed my big buck, uh, I say big buck, the 10 point, I did see one deer hunter come in there. And actually, um, it was uh, the year after I killed it, I was in there scouting for the muzzleloader and old man walked up on me and he goes hey man he goes uh what are you doing i said oh, i'm just oh, actually i was sitting on the ground bow hunting and um he comes up and he goes yeah he goes you know a guy killed a deer right up here uh by such and such <laughs> tree and he said uh he actually killed two monster bucks and he was in all the magazines he killed all this and that and i said oh really <laughs> he goes yeah and, and now he thinks he owns the area um um, my aunt, my nephews and stuff come in here, and he brought them out of here and said, "This is his area." And I said, "Really? Did he?" So there's He's so right. many huh? stories that go around. I would never run somebody out of an area. I'll be whistle at them or something, say, "Hey, you know, I'm here hunting." Yeah. But he made it sound like I run them out of the damn tree that I I was hunting in. You know. So there's so many stories that go around, and and uh, you know. Hey, I don't even worry about them. I just, you know, whatever. I try to stay a little bit on the silent side about it. <laughs> sure. Well, well, guys. Well, let's yeah, let's wreck it up. Yeah. yeah, we've 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 uh we've pushed our time here, but we greatly appreciate you taking the time to tell us your stories and talk a little bit about 
yeah um your style and and your the successes you've had and yeah. and and all of that if we don't have anything else you guys got anything else no i'm good man all I'm right good. eric well I congratulations on a great season and we greatly yep. appreciate it we greatly appreciate your time man all right man Thanks. y'all take care Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. If you have anybody you'd like to hear on the show, reach out to us at info at louisianabowhunter.com. And if you want to help support Louisiana Bowhunter, go by your local archery shop and pick up some merchandise. If you don't have any at your local shop, let us know and we'll reach out to them. Or pick up your gear at louisianabowhunter.com and we'll ship it out to you same day. See you next week.